Take some pride in the rainbow. It's yours. I remember sometime in maybe 1999, that might be too far back. It's a nice era to kind of feel like for my nostalgia, though, right? Between 1992 and 2006, life was pretty good for me. I had hard times. Don't get me wrong. I had depression, anxiety. I got put on, you know, well-betrayed, a bunch of other stuff, was suicidal at times. Nonetheless, I think about it, it's like, man, those are the good days. Why is that? What changed? Well, uh, take some pride in the rainbow. I remember sometime around 1999, 2006, somewhere in there, I saw that the rainbow was the sign for what has now become, what do we call it? What am I allowed to call it? I'm on YouTube right now. The sexuality agenda that's running our country. Um, I didn't know it was that at the time. I didn't think much of it at that time. I never hated anybody ever, really, except when they like tried to fight me at school. I didn't like those kids, you know. But like... Um, what I thought was this. This is the point of the story. I thought, oh, it's too bad. Now we can't use the rainbow. And I didn't even think about thinking it, but I do remember thinking it. I didn't think that's a bad idea. I just thought it, and on I went. I think a lot of us did. I think that's what it was designed to do. It was designed to take away our story. That's what's been happening a long time, Lutherans. They've been taking away our story. Why don't we immerse when we baptize? Do you want to know the reason? What I was taught at seminary, why we don't immerse when we baptize? Because the Baptists do, and we don't want to make them feel good about it, basically. You know, we don't want to let them think they might be right or kind of right. Yeah. So we've been cutting off our nose to spot our face for some time now. And I'm kind of at the point where I'm done cutting off my nose, right? Despite my face, at least, right? Uh, I'm going to take back the rainbow. Here's a second story now. So... Uh, both my wife and I had a similar experience uh, where we went to our normal grocery store, which is the Walmart right over here on Riverside, the, the one that a lot of people won't go to. I kind of like walking in and out. I got another story about, is there a gun? Which makes me feel like Rocker's my home. I'll leave that for another time. Um, I don't mind it so much. I find the people to be refreshingly real and friendly. They're also concerned about safety. And so if you make friends, you can make friends, even across color spectrums. Would you believe it in today's day and age? Yes. Yes, you would. You learn a lot at the Walmart down the street. Anyway, what I didn't expect, because it isn't really Walmart's thing, it's more of Target's thing. What I didn't expect was to have a panoply of rainbows in the kind of uh, return center area. It's not all over the store. It doesn't look professionally done at all like Target would do. Uh, it looks like somebody's just kind of taking matters into their own hands. I didn't expect it. It kind of bothered me. I kind of went, well, I mean, where do I live? I know where I live. And so it's not that surprising. It hit Meredith a bit more. But both of us didn't take any pride in the rainbow when we saw it. And I'm done with that. The next time I see a rainbow anywhere, anywhere in the world, I'm going to say, Alleluia. And I'm going to try to say the name of Jesus Christ. And if that's in the middle of Walmart with a bunch of people around me, I'm going to get as loud as I can. I probably won't shout it. I'm not that crazy yet. But I'm going to say it loud enough to be heard. And then I'm just going to go on with life. I'm not going to try to make an argument. I'm not going to say anything about it. But when I see a rainbow, I'm going to say, Alleluia, and the name of Jesus Christ is going to come out of my mouth. Because I'm going to have some pride in the rainbow. It's mine. It means God has an alliance with my neighborhood, not to destroy everybody just because some people do some evil stuff. That's the promise. Forever. 
And every time you see a rainbow over your actual neighborhood, I really do hope you, you stop and look. Because God is reminding himself to be nice to y'all. Uh, better than that, to love you like his sons. Uh, to make you daughters of a kingdom. Take some pride in the rainbow and then recognize that pride, while not the best word always, isn't the worst word always. Arrogance is a bad word always. Pride can also mean dignity. And if you want to know what the culture of death, aborting children, sacrificing them to their pagan gods has done to man's image of himself in the modern world, it is steal our dignity. How are we supposed to have pride when our mothers can kill us? How are we supposed to believe there's anything worth anything more than just what I can feel right now make me feel good? That is what they are doing. That's not what you're doing. But you feel the tension more than you ever did, don't you? Because they look at you with astonishment now. Why don't you join them in the flood of debauchery? What's wrong with you? Do you think you're better than them? And here's the answer. Yes, you are. And you know why? Not by strength, not by might, but by the Holy Spirit of the living God who's declared you his sanctified temple forever and ever. Amen. And if they don't want that, that's on them. That's not on you. That's on them when they say no to that. Because it's a free gift to the whole world, again, in the name of Jesus Christ. Every time you see a rainbow, I want you to remember that. And then you can pray for the people who put it up for stupid reasons. You can pray for the people who think it's a sign of debauchery, or maybe even a sign for the mutilation of children. Pray that they would repent. Pray that they would see the light. Because some of them have, and more of them will. And the way that it happens isn't because we get up there and make a lot of noise shouting in their faces the way they do. But by patience and love and charity, we stand firm and we don't let them move us. Uh, it's not really what I want to talk about today, but there's too much chatter in the internet for my taste with regard to, you know, there should be a fight between Americans and the American government, and we could take it back. And, you know, I, don't, I honestly don't know. Maybe, maybe there's enough patriots out there. I don't know. I don't care. I think it's a stupid plan. If you're going to try to fight your own government in a globalist age, you're going to lose. Unless you learn the lesson that Jesus taught that pagans like Gandhi figured out from Jesus. The Christians miss a lot which is not that we're pacifists. It's not that you can't serve in the military. It is okay to kill a man who is raping your wife while he's doing it to get him off of her. That is okay. Do it. Save her. Huh? But, but, the position of the Christian in the public is not violence or vigilantism. It is civil disobedience. That's what Martin Luther King did, right? Civil disobedience. Did he do exactly what they told him to do? Nope, sure didn't. She didn't get off the bus, right? That's what we want to recover. And I want you to take that spirit with you, with dignity, into every moment a rainbow shows up in your life for the rest of your life. Because I think it will mean great things for your neighborhood. I think it will mean great things for your heart. Let's talk about the, the rainbow just a little bit more as a, as a concept. 
We're going to chase the rainbow following this. Next week, we got you know, one week on the beast, but the next week after that, we're going to chase the rainbow in the Bible, and we're going to end up in Ezekiel and Revelation again. Woo-hoo. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited about where we're going to go with this, the kind of theology we're going to find, because it's biblical theology. We've been doing a lot of straight through the Bible, and we'll do that again. We'll do that more. We're going to go do the patriarchs sometime this fall. But there's a value in categorical theology, like chasing one idea through several books and seeing where it goes. Sometimes that's called dogmatics, although dogmatics usually doesn't focus on rainbows. Um, But if you follow the rainbow through the Bible, you're going to find a lot of cool stuff. Let's start, though, with what I think should be an obvious question, which is, what's a rainbow? What is it? And... I think you can tell me it's some color in the sky. Maybe you can tell me it's light going through water as a prism. Those are good summaries, right? Uh, no, it's just a marvelous example of why we don't understand quantum physics. It, it, is, it is so many wonderful things. But why is it called a bow? Isn't that strange? The rain part kind of makes sense. Why a bow? And I, I know the easy answer is it's not strange, Pastor. It makes an arc. Okay, well, why is an arc not called an arc, with a C, not a K, right? Uh, why is it called a bow? Uh, especially in an era where, I mean, did, did Noah know what a bow and arrow were? Well, here's the answer to that. Yes, probably, but it's not as simple as it just has the shape. It's actually way, way cooler than that. So have you heard someone say, I hope you have, that every ancient culture has a flood narrative? a flood myth of some kind, but they all shift and are different. Okay, so every ancient culture has something tying the supernatural power of God or the close to the best God um, to his, his promises and power. So uh, check this out. Um, so it, the bow means a warrior's arrow shooting thing. Uh, and it means this in, in all languages, which means everyone from off the boat on, had this word that they clung to as this shape. The Chinese use it. uh, The Japanese use it. They call it a bow, meaning whatever in their language a bow and arrow would be. Um, In uh, Japanese, though, the word is not just a regular bow. It refers to the bow of the gods. So it's it's a thing that the good spirits which if you know anything about Shinto, it's not really got a god. It's got good spirits and, and a trickster spirits, right? Uh, the rainbow is the, bo- is the weapon of the good spirits against the evil spirits in Japanese mythology. Huh? In Norse mythology, it's a bridge between heaven and earth. In Celtic mythology, it shoots arrows of light at God's enemies. In Greek, it is Iris, the messenger uh, angel of heaven, and always Iris comes upon a bridge, again, just like the Norse. Yeah? Um, in Hindu, uh, the rainbow belongs to the god of thunder and war and always goes with lightning. Ooh. Yeah, well, have you seen one of those storms? That's something when it's all together in one cloud, sunshine coming through, bolts of lightning and rainbows. I feel like I have been there once. Uh, Sumerian. Sumerian mythology, the rainbow is just the crown on the almighty god's head. The Incas, it was a ladder between heaven and earth, which made me think of Jacob's ladder. What did that look like? Hmm. Uh, Australian Aborigines, uh, the rainbow, uh, rainbows are made by the creator of the world. So throughout ancient religion, you don't have Christianity stealing an idea. 
from them. What you have is them slowly losing the meaning of the original idea that we just read about in the book of Genesis, which is that this sign in the sky is not merely a pretty arc. It is the weapon of God against his enemies by withstanding his desire to have wrath on them and instead having mercy in order to convert them to being his friends and sons. It is outside of the crucifix, right? It is the ultimate picture of Christianity. You can't get a more clear picture. Butterflies on Easter, I'm sorry, rainbows. You're going to look hard for a butterfly image in the Bible. Huh? Rainbows, though. Yeah, it is, it is the symbol. It is the sign. And now I want to say this too, because it's, it's important. This might not be uh, valuable to you. If it's not, it's just, it's okay. But okay. So the rainbow is a sign, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a mark that's been put somewhere to be seen. And the story tells us it starts from God. So no matter how it's used now, it's still a sign created by God. When you have a sign, there's always two other things that go with the sign. It can't exist by itself. You have both the significance of the sign, and you also have the design of the sign. All right? So whenever you see a sign, it has significance. That means not just that it is a mark somewhere that you see, but the scene has a meaning. Right? So the sign is the rainbow, and the significance is God's promises to you always. Now, the sign also has a design. That significance, God's promises to you always, are coming through the sign by design, which then points to there being a designer, of course, which is obvious to those of us who believe in an almighty God. Uh, all of this the rainbow being an absolute alliance between God and your neighborhood, God and your household, God and your, your heart. So uh, I want to remind us here then of the payoff I'm hoping to get as a congregation out of this particular series. Because all of us have different paths we walk every day. There are similarities in the path you walk to mine, but there are also great differences. Uh, my battles are not your battles, but we all have battles. And all of us in those battles, whether we're objectively right or wrong, feel like we're wrong most of the time or that we're being wronged. And when we're being wronged, we seek salvation for that wrong. What I want all of us to do more of is to seek that salvation in the promises of God in that moment in your day. The moment you feel everything around you going wrong, the moment that it couldn't possibly be right, that's the time to say, wait a minute. Jesus has said it's always going to be right. And so the greatest thing I can do right now is not try to find the silver lining on the cloud, but believe that God has a greater purpose than even a silver lining. I don't have to see the silver lining. I can go through the pain, the suffering, and never see it till the day of resurrection. And that is a truth I can take to the day of resurrection. And the beauty is that walking like that, there's going to be plenty of silver linings. There's all sorts of silver linings. But we're not after the silver lining. We're after the rainbow. We're after the full promise. And the full promise is that whatever battle you're fighting in your heart tonight is well in the hands of Jesus Christ. And the sign of the rainbow that is set into the sky 
has pointed forward to the fullness of resurrection in the man, Jesus Christ, who's attached his word, which is light, to water, which is in the baptism, to put, I believe, a rainbow you can't see on your head. You got a crown. It's on your head. You can't take it off unless you say, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't believe in Jesus anymore and mean it. You have a crown. It's a rainbow. It's with you wherever you go. You can't see it. Christians can't see it. They can hear you speak. But the angels see it. And the demons see it. And just because the demons see it doesn't mean they run away. They might make a lot of noise somewhere. It doesn't matter. This is the point. Wherever you are, no matter how much noise is in your life, the pilot, Jesus, holds the ark steady, and he's clothed in the rainbow of his blood shed for you. St. Paul, this is why we're here every week, is to believe that again together. What I hope we're growing in now is not merely believing it about ourselves individually, but that you can know that the people in this place with you are having the same fight. And when you start using the same language to talk about the fight, use the word rainbow to talk about the promises of God with someone who knows what you mean, it unites you. It builds you. It gives you strength. Um, I met a guy uh, at the event yesterday, um, a Roman Catholic Syrian Christian, native language Aramaic, really interesting. He spoke incredibly well. What was amazing was how easily we conversed. Um, and it was because we were using the same language. We were losing biblical talk. And we were talking about, you know, the worship of false gods and the, the sacrifice of humans <laughs> to, to devils, uh, which is what the abortion industry really has to be seen as if you have any mind from before 1500. The ancient world could only see this as the sacrifice of children. Um, and so we talked about that. And, and, but what united us again was the language of the Bible that we were able to go past really Lutheran Catholic distinctions, which are important, and we recognize that, but we were able to be on the same bridge, uh, literally walking down, downtown in Rockford. That power then is for you here between each other. So I, I got another story. Um, last night, a long-term St. Paul member came back to Saturday evening service, and I don't want to share her name, and it's not about her. It was about how afraid she was to sit in the wrong pew. Seriously, she talked to like three people about it. I don't know. I mean, I've always thought St. Paul's a pretty friendly place. I've only been here five years. You've always been hospitable and it's blown me away that I don't have to go find visitors. You find visitors. It's great. Okay. But somewhere in our past, it always hasn't quite been there. And God help us, let it never go there. Yeah. Let it never go there. Uh, we want to bring in the fearful. I want you to see each other's battles. I want you to share each other's burdens. And I want you to know that you have a dignity of being more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves you together in this place and as you go out. So it's not just about your heart, then it's about your house, right? Which is an ark that you're building to put the word of God inside and don't let the floods take it away, right? And then your neighborhood. Do you have other Christians in your neighborhood? Do you talk to them about these things? You should. You don't have to get in a fight. Just pray. <laughs> You know, find out what they're praying for. Encourage them to pray too. And of course, from there, our city does matter to us. One of the other very interesting things about the Walk for Life yesterday, and I, I definitely couldn't see everything, so I'd love to be told that there was a Rockford City presence somewhere there. 
but I did not see one. I saw no police officers. I saw, I saw no one but the organizer, organizer of the events and then random traffic that didn't pass in the one story I already told you about. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, our, our city matters and our city is definitely not a pro-life city. It is part of a machine. And that machine is not just the state of Illinois. That machine is uh, bigger than just the state of Illinois. It has agendas and that agenda is medicinal use of human body parts. It has been for a long time. So just because uh, we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening in other places. You, know, you might think that a 40% interest rate isn't legal because it's not legal uh, in Illinois, but in New Jersey, it is. No, sorry, Delaware, got it wrong. In Delaware, it is, right? So uh, different places, different battles. Rockford City, it is, a, it is a weak city in a weak, tottering empire stuck on the, the feed, the fuel of the empire, unable to think for itself and do what's good for what is local because it needs to serve this weak and tottering empire. That makes it the perfect kind of place for Christianity to take over peacefully with wisdom spoken from our mouths and prayers lifted up to God. It's the perfect city for Christians to have an impact on the city. When I say take over, I don't mean rule. I mean reign. And I mean speak things that are so good that everybody else wants them too. And there's plenty of Christians here. Again, the group that was down there marching yesterday is mostly Roman Catholics. I know we got more than just Roman Catholics in Rockford. And if we want our voices to be heard then, well, we have to believe they can be. That means you have to believe that your voice is worth hearing. And I'm again going to tell you, it is. It is. You're not bad. You're good. And for that reason, when you strive for that good according to the word of God, well, that's something to take pride in. Uh-huh. We have quite a bit of time left here. And I do want to give you then one more thing. I knew I had to say what I just said uh, because it's that important to us right now. Uh, but there's, there's more kind of details that we can pull out of from uh, the story. Uh, why don't we just talk about this? I think this will work. Um, there's this like overlap of the growth of the different animals in this story with a gift that's given with the promise of fruitfulness and, and multiplication, uh, a life that is positive, right? And scientific demographics, right? If you go study populations, it's, it's clear as day. It's, it's a fact that if you're not growing as a society, uh, you're not just dying, you're going to die on the vine. There's almost no coming back from a demographic collapse. Uh, you can become a very small group that's ruled over by others. Um, the promise of multiplication and the promise of multiplication always goes hand in hand with prosperity. One of the hardest things about the coming demographic challenges around 2050 that they're predicting worldwide will be a worker shortage. I don't know if you've been looking around Rockford recently or talking to people, it's, there's already a worker shortage. I can't imagine 2050, okay? Because it's gonna get, it's gonna get worse worldwide. We're just, our population is gonna peak and it's gonna start coming down. And what happens then is it's difficult to get things because the guy who used to drive the truck because he was happy to have a job, now there just aren't that many, right? And so the trucks aren't coming and things aren't moving and who knows what happens. This is why it's important for Christians to take control of their local neighborhoods and have a voice in their local cities. So they're prepared for all sorts of catastrophes, whatever might come. But 
what I want you to see here is the linking of growth as a people with prosperity, that they go together, right? That what's built much of America's greatness, if we're going to talk about our consuming power and market goods over the last 50 years, has been our population growth, mostly, you know, lots and lots of people. And those people were mainly Christians are influenced by the Bible, believed in rule of law and order and things like that. So that was all beneficial. But tying growth and, and prosperity, they, they go together in the Bible, right? Right here in Genesis. And then also tied into this is food. And you see this moment where along with a, a miracle inexplicable that the flood is by itself, right? The mountains covered with water, uh, different landscape afterwards, four rivers watered the earth beforehand. Now we got oceans. It, it's, it's a cataclysmic miracle. Along with that, that then also is the, the rainbow in the sky a miracle? I mean, it, it put it there at that time, it made nature different. Did physics change? I don't know. But, but again, here now, suddenly we can eat the animals. You might have someone tell you, you know, there's a Bible diet someday. Like, don't believe them. <laughs> there's no Bible diet. There is ancient wisdom in talking about food right? Uh, better is a meal of herbs than a contentious table, right? I mean, that, that's biblical wisdom about food, and it implies that herbs aren't really enough to live on, actually. Uh, so there's, there's wisdom there, but the main thrust of this here is that before the flood, man lived well on vegetables and fruits, and after the flood, God says, now you need meat. And that's a strange thing, Really, I, I, don't, I have an answer in my head. I'm not going to preach it today. It's, it's my opinion. But see what a miracle that is. What changed? Or maybe nothing changed. Maybe the evil people before the flood were too stupid to realize that a steak was really tasty. I don't think so. I think they knew what they were doing before the flood. So maybe before the flood, cows were poisonous to eat. And now after the flood, they're not. That's one option. Or maybe before the flood, the human stomach was just completely different and wasn't able to digest you know, something like red meat. But after the flood, it is. I don't know what the real answer is. But what I know is it's a, it's a radical change. It's a radical change. It is tied to fruitfulness. And that word fruit, I mean, that's a, that's a New Testament word, right? So, so fruit's important here. Huh? Both the fruit of the earth which is the, not only fruit that you would get off a tree, but like a vegetable out of the ground. But according to this story, the animals are also the fruit of the earth. Just because it's meat doesn't not mean it's not fruit. And, you know, you take a bite of an apple, what do you take a bite of? It's, it's flesh, right? So in the ancient mind, they're not that different from each other. They, they are, but they're not. And to see that here God, again, is giving, not as a commandment, growth of families and prosperity, and plenty of food. It's not a commandment. It's not do this. This is, this is what the rainbow means too. Uh, that you're going to grow. Your families will grow. Uh, um, that you're going to have uh, enough. And, and that means the food isn't really the primary worry. Although there are famines. And there are seasons. There are times, right? But for us as people, as we walk forward on this earth. This is God's covenant, not just with the church, but with nature itself. So maybe the last thing to say this morning is just notice how in the covenantal giving of these signs, he not only distinguishes between clean and unclean animals for sacrificial purposes, but he gives the promise to the animals too. 
Like at the end of uh, Jonah, where Jonah's all upset because God saved the city of Nineveh. Jonah's actually upset that the people repented and became believers, which is a strange story. And God does this whole thing to him with a plant and a worm. And, and Jonah gets even more mad at God. And God's like, why are you mad because I killed a plant? And you want me to kill all those men and all those cows. That's the last word of the book. Beasts, cows, uh, Bahamut, again, you know. Um, uh, and God doesn't want to destroy Nineveh and sends Jonah to preach at Nineveh, not just for the men, but he, he really cares about the animals too. He really does. And the rainbow's a promise not just for us. So you're worried, how, what are we going to do to the environment? How might we ruin the planet so that we can't live here anymore? God cares about the animals enough to not let us do that entirely. What about the extinct species? Species aren't kind. Simple as that. Species aren't kinds. God cares about the animals enough to preserve them, which might make us take a, a thought for prayer or two before we go out and, like, I don't know, pour oil on things. Yeah. It's tough because the environmentalist movement is its own religion right now, right? You know that. So it's really hard to figure out where do I stand as a Christian, but we can't stand with throwing litter out the car. <laughs> and we can't stand there. Yeah. We want to be the people picking the litter up, we want to pe be the people building the ark in our neighborhood making our neighborhood look like it's worth living in because it is, because we live there and we're worth having around because Jesus said so. And our children too. Take some pride in the rainbow. In the name of Jesus.